Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, I don't know if I've told you. We got a new match. Hey. For anyone who's not looking at the video, I have got a coffee cup that says Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie. I'm just curious, are our faces on the other side of that cup? If I turn it around, it is our face. <laughs> so you're drinking your coffee out of a like cup with, with our faces my, on it. My lips are touching your forehead. I'll put it out that way every time I take a sip. <laughs> it's just a little taste of Charlie's. Great. Now, if you're sitting here saying, how do we get merch? That's a weird question. But hey, we'll probably tell the email list first before anybody else. <laughs> so head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your details and uh, I'll get Charlie to tell you every single time we drop one of these uh, lovely merch buys or potential. Now, before we get started or I screw this up, let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not sure how I feel about you drinking a coffee while your lips are touching. Oh, I'm literally watching you like drink out of that cup and just abrasively touching my forehead on it. It'll, it'll never be the same again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it was my wife's idea to put your face on this side. Well, the match it's itself like, actually looks fantastic. I'll say great. excellent job, Hazel. Like, well done. <laughs> totally. And now I just can't picture this. I got to drink it from the other side. Let's get into it. All right. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about due diligence. And Grant, I'll ask you this question here. Have you ever ended up in a position where you're like, if I just checked that? <laughs> I feel like this is like a daily occurrence. <laughs> just in general. I'm like, yeah, I didn't check enough. Have you ever followed a due diligence process well and it's actually saved you a lot of money? Not really, no. Interesting. I, I have. No way. I yes. Can't. So we were um, looking to buy a property and a part of the uh, due diligence proje- uh, process was checking that all the works on the property had been legally done. So what had turned out is this person had uh, essentially renovated their home into a duplex and built a granny flat on the property and just not ever engaged counsel at all. They'd just done it. My favorite humans. Yeah. So if we bought that property without that due diligence in place and it was to come to terms that this works had been done, we would actually be liable. So we passed on that property for that reason with the hundreds of thousands of dollars of potential damages would have been done on that to either restore or then rectify to the level that would be needed. Um, have you ever done due diligence and then looked at it? And then said, ah, screw it, whatever. My emotions, I, I'm still so G'd up for this opportunity. I still think I can make it work, even though maybe the numbers, maybe something didn't stack up. So I call this like pseudo due diligence. It's where <laughs> I've got a bias because I'm emotionally attached to an outcome. And then I look at things only to verify what I want to see instead of second questioning the things that actually matter. Totally. And have I been stung by that? Several times. What how many people in crypto have been stung by that recently? <laughs> uh, I played the fifth. 
All right, quick story on this one. I know we're, okay, we've got a huge list of due diligence stuff, but um, I was uh, I at one point had a substantial amount of money in that Luna uh, thing. Yep. Uh, so um, what was the name of it again? Uh, Terra Luna. Yeah, Terra Luna, where you were getting a 17% yield. Right. So I had uh, money in this thing and I was getting paid my 17% yield. And I'm like, this is great. And uh, one of my mentors uh, had pointed out the idea is like to give you 17%, they need to be making more than 17% on it. Right? No one can give you 17% if they're making 10% on it because it's unsustainable. And I reacted and said, well, they are, they are, they definitely are. There's like things you don't understand. And then he's like, do you understand it? And I'm like, shit, no. <laughs> He's like, you might want to look into that. So I went and looked into it, and I uh, on that website that says really interesting things. So if you if you put money into it that they were lending out, they were giving you seventeen percent, but they were actually loaning the money out at sub ten percent. So it wasn't sustainable. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, that's not sustainable. And this is well and truly before it imploded. I actually got all my money out because of that advice. So I'm very fortunate. I got out well and truly before it imploded based on someone pointing out the flaws in my due diligence because I was just so excited about the tech and what it was doing and I was seeing like peer-to-peer -peer lending options and what I thought would evolve into eventually becoming something that may be used in property, right? But, well, actually not everyone knows how that story went, but I'll put it this way. If a company is paying 17% out and they're only making 10%, what do we think would happen, Grant? <laughs> I was going to say, you could probably, probably imagine where that thing lands. It's, it's similar to like you look at a lot of the tech companies on like the, the S&P, which is the, the US stock exchange, and they've got like a valuations through the roof to the point that the best investors in the world still can't understand how to value a business. And they're like, well, is, is five times earnings good or is 50 times earnings good? Like, like we don't know. Like how do you actually look at that? And so it's it's a challenging thing. Well, do you know what disturbs me about that one? What? And everyone's like, oh, but I'm not invested in those things. Do you have a super fund? <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> you might be. I'll say <laughs> might be, be, not all. But if you're index investing into those things, and I realize the nature of index is to diversify, so you don't have to do due diligence at this level. But I would say there's some rather concerning things that go on with valuations as another one there. That And then people's, well, did you do diligence your super fund? Do you even yeah. know what your super fund is invested in? And I know we're not allowed to talk about super or um, give financial advice, but I would say speaking to a financial planner or actually doing some research and getting involved in it could make a huge difference in that area. Completely. Uh, what is it? Ignorance is not a strategy. I don't know. I've seen The Matrix, right? And there's that one scene where Cypher's back in with, uh, I think it's Smith is his name, and he's eating the steak, and he says, ignorance is bliss. Right, I do think there's a lot of people that have a huge amount of ignorance that are happier in life than you and I. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of three-year-olds out there with smiles on their face. <laughs> I'm not advocating that as a strategy, though. I really am not. I think I would. Uh, I am a person who likes to take responsibility. It, totally, totally. Should we kick off these ones? Yeah, you can kick off number one. I loved your uh, points here because I've definitely not done this one. So one of the fascinating things that I always find, um, and I just find myself repeating this over and over again. Hey, like, wait, no, I've got to interrupt you. I didn't set this one up at all. So what we're actually going to do in this episode is Grant and I are going to go through uh, <laughs> three points each 
of things we do with due diligence that I think could potentially level up someone's due diligence pro, uh, process. So these are things you can include in your own due diligence process and potentially apply to either business stuff or investing stuff. But please note, these aren't the only ones. These are just the ones we think are particularly weighted for us and you want to incorporate with others as well, definitely. It's not intended to be the whole process of due diligence, just the extra things that can potentially make the difference or some extra spices, right? I mean, also feel like if you're looking to date someone, you could also apply these. Do you know, I'm looking at these lists. These are, that's actually a great idea. <laughs> the, the details. So if you're looking to one. buy a business or potentially invest in a property or, f- or validate a new potential mating partner, this, this could make this a difference list, for you. This list is perfect. <laughs> so the very first one is, uh, and I, I find myself saying this to a lot of people. So a lot of people get into scenarios where they're asking, hey, Charlie, how should I approach this problem that I'm facing? How should I approach this? And the best first question is always like, what goal? Like, where are you actually going to? Because the answer is going to be fundamentally different, right? And it's no different when you're looking to buy a business or an investment asset or get a partner maybe. It's like, what are you actually trying to achieve? Are you, I don't know, maybe you're going for more profit per month. And so you're looking to acquire a business that already has existing profit and you're trying to bring that in. Or maybe you're trying to build your email marketing list and you're going to acquire someone else's email marketing list. And you go, okay, that's going to be a better asset for me because it aligns to my goals. But so many people like the idea or the concept of buying an asset. That's the opportunity. It totally is. I get totally bought into it. Uh, And one of the interesting things was, so I used to have an e-commerce store. Um, This was back in the SEO days. I used to just spin up e-commerce stores, drop ship them, and then look to try and sell them. And it was really interesting, uh, this guy who bought one of them. So we were ranking like two and three on Google for a whole heap of different terms. And this website sold chicken coops, dog kennels, et cetera. So if you typed in chicken coops, we're in the top spots. And this guy had reached out to us and he's like, I just want to compete with myself with brands where people don't know that it's coming from the one company. And so his whole goal was accumulate all places on Google. So he was just looking for people who had spots on Google. And he's like, I don't care about your products. He's like, I don't care about past customer lists. He's like, all I want is your social assets, your website, and your rankings. And he's like, that's it. And I'm like, that's awesome. You have perfectly aligned what I'm looking to sell with the goal that you're trying to achieve, which is if you click spot one, two, three, or four on Google, it's all him. See, I like that. That's a good alignment, right? He's very clear. Pure, uh, purely clear. Everything else was irrelevant to him. He's like, this is where I'm going. As long as all the numbers match up for that, I'm happy. I think it with the opposite one here of like where it, um, I see it not work out so much. And I, I've looked at this. Let's say I get word of there's a huge infrastructure project going in in a town in Australia, <laughs> which I get yep. word of these things. You know, we're right. in this industry. Sometimes I hear about you know, oh, do you know they're upgrading the port here, Grant? There's a train station going in a new hospital. Bye, 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 bye. Yeah, like I'm literally saying in my head right now, well, you'd want to buy property in that area. Totally. Not recognizing at all that if it is a growth play and my goal is cash flow, it's completely counter to what I'm actually trying to achieve. And so many times I've had to like wind myself back from that and going, it doesn't progress you on your wealth goal. Sure, you could probably buy it. It'll go up in value. You might make some money, might be a key word. 
But the reality is it would be a backward step because it would be a property in your portfolio that's actually one that could have been more aligned to your goal. So you just yep. delayed achieving your goal. And I think for uh, many others, it's like when opportunities and uh, come up, it's wanting to win at that opportunity over get something towards what will actually benefit you continually gets it. I get people send me properties all the time and they're like, oh, I'm thinking about buying this. And I'm like, why? Yeah, <laughs> just why? <laughs> the, the greatest jack question is why. Yeah. So it's a fascinating one. And it's like I think that a continual alignment of how does this serve my goal? How does this bring me closer to what I'm actually trying to achieve if I'm to go through with this? Such a huge win. What? Here's my why question for you. You and I get these situations a lot and we, we talk about sort of a lot of people that we speak to and one fascinating point that I find, which I was just saying a couple of seconds ago, was like people don't realign it to their goal. They don't realign it to their why. Do you think that this is because they don't have a goal or they don't know what they're trying to move towards and just any activity is good activity? Why do you think that it takes someone like you and I to go like, why? Why are you looking at this? Why do you think this is a good investment? Would why you, do you believe I've good? put thorn into this? Go for it. I'm, I'm, hence me asking the question. I'm uh, very much in a stage of life where I like to, um, I'll call it deconstruct my own behaviours and like look at the things I go and like, hmm, why'd you do that? That's why I call you the sage. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get sage like So there's two camps in my view. So there's one where it's like not clearly defined goals and if you're not clearly defined, well, then anything is progress. Yep. Right. So that's definitely camp one. Um, camp two, though, is the more interesting one in my mind, and that's where it's aligned to status and greed. <clears throat> so for uh, the example, and like how many times have you heard someone say, oh, I want to get 10 properties? Heaps, or $100,000 in yearly, like cash flow from properties. Yeah, but the 10 property one specifically is like is status. It's to tell people yeah. there's 10 properties. You could have one property and still get that cash flow, right? Totally. It's like... If you owned one massive hotel, you could get more than that cash flow. But the mm -hmm. ability to go in a room and say, I have 10 properties is actually more what they're serving. They don't realize it. Or, Grant, what about this one? I got, I got 100 staff. I was going to say that was the one I was about to sound like. It's like no different to business owners. Like, yeah, I got 50 employees. Yeah, like, you see what? them in prioritizing headcount over profitability. And yep. it's like if the goal is profit, maybe less staff is more in line with that. So they're the ones I really notice. Do you find it? See, it's funny, just you mentioning that, I suspect it's because people don't want to share to others like they're, what they're trying to do or what – actually, no. It's, I feel like they don't want to share what's under the covers. They don't want to share what their cash flow is. They don't want to share what profit they're making. Whether I they're, disagree. So why do you think that they just default to that? Well, first thing is if someone's goal is status and power, like name it. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think there's anything um, inherently – good or bad about that. I just think you've got to be true to you. It's just there's not a single person I've ever met where it's like, no, no, my goal is status and power. Right? I, that never comes out. That In the world I'm in, every time I talk to a business owner or an investor and I go, oh, like, what are your goals? What comes out of their mouth is normally, well, I want this much free time and I also want this amount of money, whether yep. it's profit from a business, cash flow, passive income, right? It all comes back to like the time and money thing. So, what I find interesting is that they seem to link the status and greed thing to obtaining that. So they think they're actually serving in line with their goals, but it's it's not. So, for example, we sit here and go, I, we're both looking at cars at the moment <laughs> as, a, as a funny side story. 
Shit, Hazel doesn't know. She, now she knows. <laughs> well, I'm looking at a car. Hazel, don't listen no, to this. We are. We're both, yes. Yeah, we but do. the idea being is that uh, any car will get you from A to B. But it's like, oh, if I got the Mercedes, you know, that might lead to someone thinking I'm wealthy and business opportunity might pop up. So this is actually serving my goal is to spend this amount of money on this car. Yeah. It's not true. It's not, you know, that's a very, I mean, it could happen, but it's not necessarily aligned or true. So it's a lack of awareness thing. And I would also say a lot of people have huge amounts of trouble with uh, how others judge them. So the idea being, well, if you're the type of person that drives a Porsche, it's very different than a person that drives a Kia. Could, yeah. could you handle what others would say about you, Grant? Like, are you really wealthy if you drive a Kia? That's not what wealthy people drive. And as a side note, I actually really like Kias. They make some sick cars. But the point is that um, that is the fascinating sub-layer that sits between this. Hence why the value of coming back to a goal is so absolutely critical. And, and challenging. Yeah. What? I think that a lot of business owners would struggle to call status <laughs> a goal, like formally call it out. Uh, point number two. Do you want to reel your three off first or do you want me to do my one? I was going to go you. I was going to go like a table, like a game of table tennis. All right. So point to point. I, I'm going I'm to make mine a bit of a story here because I think this is probably one of the most critical parts of due diligence I do these days. And this is more when I'm looking to purchase something as a like consumer, I will say. So when I first got into property, one of the things that was incredibly confusing is that I would talk to several different buyer's agents in this example and mortgage brokers and I would go and speak to them and basically they all conflicted with each other. So I'll just use property as the example here. I'd speak to someone, they're like, mate, blue chip property is the way. You just buy in Melbourne and Sydney in the blue chip areas, all that other stuff is garbage. Yep. Another guy go, look, you can't buy in blue chip. You've got to develop. Like all the money's already been made in blue chip. If you don't manufacture growth, you're screwed. Go to the next person. They're like, you know, both those guys are full of shit. Commercials where it's at. All right, so I would getting more and more confused about each of these things and which one was right for me. I was like, it was building up and there's this one question I developed that really changed everything for me. So I went to all of them and I said, all right, so for people in my situation, and by my situation, I'm a uh, young family, I'm in my 30s, these are the resources I have available to me and I'm a business owner, this is what I'm trying to achieve. Like, this is the end game. How have you helped people like that? Show me how you've taken someone from my situation to there and then we can see if we're a right fit. And it became very, very, very apparent to me that no one had ever asked any of them that question. Because <laughs> it's, it's scrambling. What do you mean? Yep. Yeah. So I, I looked at that as a, a filter question because as soon as I asked that and they had to draw from the idea of past people like me that they'd achieved, game changer, absolute yep. game changer. So rather than talking about, in this case, the asset, they had to talk about the, how that person's situation applied to that. Yep. Where if I had just bought purely on the idea of who I liked the most without that filter, it could have gone really poorly. And, and there's a really great example of this is like if you're a, a doctor and you love being a doctor and you're in a government sector, really stable job, never going anywhere, for you a negative gearing strategy in doing blue chip property might be the dream. Might work really well for you because you could pay be the, a lot of tax. Could be the best strategy that you run. Yeah, for a 
a business owner though that uh, potentially will need times when they want to reinvest in their business and they won't have cash flow to support a negatively geared property in that example, that's a terrible idea. But both strategies could work. So the investor is the problem, not the investing. Yep. So um, a very, very interesting thing people look at when they're looking for better or worse, it's like, well, it depends on you. So developing that filter question as a consumer, or in this case, I'm referencing it to being like uh, buying buyer's agent services or mortgage working services, which in both cases, that this is where I look to it and go that Goose from Dashdot really well spoke to me on that and was very helpful, which is why I elected to go to him. And with Aaron, uh, our mortgage broker, it was the same thing. He was like, I'm a business owner and I'm doing this. The challenges I'm facing personally are the ones you're going to face and I'll be able to uh, navigate my way through this better than others. The the one thing I loved about Aaron was talking about all these different ways to get financing that like no other mortgage broker that I spoke to even knew about. (laughs) It's like, oh, you can do that? I, I went, I still remember the first investment property that I got and Aaron uh, got financing. Uh, sorry, no, this was the second one. Aaron got financing from it. And I went and spoke to another mortgage broker friend of mine. He's like, I don't even know how you got financing for that. I can't ever get financing for that. <laughs> and I'm like, there it is. Like, this, this is awesome. Not to mention that when he's specialized in this now, then more business owners work with him. He gets more <laughs> experience, more messed up situations. So then when I go to him next, it's like, all right, I've already crossed this one now too. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy when someone – does specialize in working with a person like you. Did you ever talk to, did you ever go to someone like Goose, for example, and just say, hey, can I speak to some of the people that have bought your services that were in a similar situation to me? Yeah, so th- we're, we're not playing table tennis anymore. I'm taking another point then. So this was my second point on this one. <laughs> and this one just doesn't, this doesn't apply as uh, just a consumer. This one could actually apply if you were buying um, a business as well here or, or any other type of acquisition in this way. So, when I um, ask that first question, the second question I ask, which is uh, incredibly powerful, is going, if they say they have worked with people like me, I say, can I speak with them? Yep. Now, if someone says no, that's a big red flag that they're spouting bullshit. <laughs> right? Because if someone's helped people like you and they're proud of that result and it went well, the best thing they could do is put you in contact with them. Totally, totally. If they're heavily resistant to that or start coming up with uh, what I'll call uh, fables, then that's a pretty red flag that they may not be as they seem. So that's one of the things you really got to look for. Now, they may um, not have an answer you like, but at least if they're honest, you might continue the conversation. But when someone lies in that environment, like the relationship of trust has been broken. So if you were, and um, we'll go even further than this, let's say you're going to buy a business and you ask to speak to the clients of the business, you go, look, um, you know, sign your documents and all the rest. So I'd love to speak to some of your customers in the experience of working with you. If they say no, that would be a pretty big red flag. Pretty big red flag. This was, um, I got got two stories on this one. So one of the first ones was... uh, one of the companies, Focus HQ, which is an enterprise project management company. A lot of major enterprise companies that we would sell into would mandate conversations with existing clients because they want to understand that we can do the thing. 
Like this was not even to buy a business. This was not. Even, this was literally in order for them to buy products from us. They're like, we need to talk to them. It's like, why? And they're like, we want to understand challenges they faced, how you went about solving it, how you were operating, etc. I'm like, that's like just a setting for buying a service, let alone buying a business, which is or, or an asset in this example. I'm like, which is so much more of a bigger commitment. And so for me, it opened up these doors of like, well, why do they do this? And obviously it's risk mitigation. Like, well, if you've solved this problem for everyone else and they can articulate the problems they faced, we don't have to face the same challenges, but we also get to ask them pointed questions around like, how did you go about solving the problems? How did you approach it? And how were you throughout the entire journey? And I, I took that to heart because I'm like, this is, this is fantastic. This is not just a me buying businesses or buying assets or anything this i can just apply this to everything i can also apply it to potentially finding a new mate for example charlie like i can go Perry, talk so to you're all dating of a old. girl and you go look you you look all right i'd like to speak to your friends or you or i want to speak to your exes <laughs> <laughs> i want to speak to the old customers just to understand what happened <laughs> this also applies to staff right if you're going to buy a business speaking to the staff or suppliers yeah. or joint venture partners I think would be a really wise thing to do in general. Totally. I am um, <laughs> during my drop shipping and buying e-commerce businesses days, Charlie, I bought I bought a business called I think it was called fairingkits.net or something like that, right? You and totally. I, was a guy over I can in see Europe. you doing that. I totally. Did. Hey, I loved motorcycles and I'm like, "Hey, I replaced the So a fairing is the plastic bit on the outside of like Japanese looking motorcycles. So anyway, so I bought this guy's business. And my due diligence at this stage, you're talking like 10, 15 years ago when I did this, was like zero. So, ah, cool. Like you just want to give, you want to transfer your entire website to my server and you just give me all your old customers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. No reason. I'm in. I'm in. And I'll get your SEO rankings and everything. Spoke to no customers. Dude, the product and the supplies that they had were trash. Like absolute trash. What I thought I was buying versus what I actually got were two vastly different things. But I was already done. I already bought it. And I'm like, okay, well, now what do I do? I got nothing but to sit here licking my wounds. Assume standards, right? Totally. This is an interesting thing is like when we we assume people will act like us and that's the dangerous yeah. blind spot and they, they often don't. Not at all. And I so I, I like pinged the seller and it's like, oh, yeah, no, that just comes with the, the game. Like, yeah, of course you're going to have to deal with that kind of stuff. Like that's what happens when you're manufacturing in China and shipping it to the US or Australia. And I'm like, no, like I thought you solved all these problems. Like this is not how I go. I'm buying a business. You want you to have sold these things and <laughs> yeah, solved. But, Sorry. So yeah, and just by speaking to past customers, I would have been able to see all the complaints. Looking at their support portal, <laughs> which was non-existent on an email address that I did not get access to. <laughs> Everybody complained. You did an excellent job of due diligence on this one. Hence why I, I can see you right now. You would have graded this purely on SEO rankings, right? You would have done a. You would have literally put Ahrefs over it or SEM Rush, <laughs> run that, and you would have been looking for. Oh, I just got to build three to five links here. Put this page up. I'll get this ranking. I'm buying this thing. I wish. I wish it was that well. I'm like, oh, category structure is going to be perfect for some rankings. They already get some good traffic. I mean, <laughs> that was it. But hence, while well, I was joking at the start of the. Start of the podcast and say like I never do due diligence <laughs> just because I got so many trash stories. <laughs> well, I, I mean, just to highlight the point, then is like this: I think a better due diligence process is uh, it's like it's a risk mitigation strategy, of course, totally. And we often think about well, we in this case buy a property or a business or get a new mate, 
And it's not just the money we potentially lose, it's the time loss on unwinding these things. Second order consequences, horrific. Massive. That thing just dwindled into a horrible death just because I'm like, I just don't want to deal with this. Because I'm like, well then, because I didn't want to resell the website because I'm like, the next person's going to ask me about shipping qualities like and product quality and all these things. I'm like, I'm going to have to say it's all trash and then they're not going to buy it. I'm like, ah, it's just going to be easier just to let it burn. So I just let it burn. All right, well, I'm going to press on because we're going to run really long on this episode if we do not. So, Grant, your second point. All right, so this one seems to be the more logical one, Charlie. I'm going to put it out there, which is maybe checking out the financials. However, a lot of the time when a lot of us look to check out financials, we might look at a P&L, like a profit and loss, and go, yep, on paper, this thing's making a profit or it's making a loss and maybe I can turn it around the other way. But that's not the level of due diligence I'm talking about here. The level of due diligence I'm talking about is actually going like one layer deeper, I'll say, where what is the submissions that they have made to the government, Charlie, aka in Australia, the, the business activity statement, the BAS that we do every quarter? Uh, what about their yearly tax return for the business? What do the finances look like on that? Because as you and I both know, some of these things can be manipulated, especially if it's in Excel or Google Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and then them sending us information and us going, uh, do we rely on this completely? Uh, so for me, one of the key things is actually picking apart their financials based on what they submit to like a government or, or otherwise and actually go, what does this look like? And then doing your typical review of trends, profit, groupings, etc. I don't think people know how manipulable books are. <laughs> I might be underplaying just how manipulable they are. Yeah, so I think we really want to go deeper on this one because I suspect people listening to this have been caught out, and I've been caught out, to be honest, and I've also had a good save here. Um, if someone gives you a P&L or a cash flow report or a balance sheet, right? if you were someone that knew you were going to sell your business, let's say, a year ago, do you think you would have started doing things to make these documents look a certain way so you could get a certain price? I might have removed employees before. I might have reduced advertising spend, aka not putting a team on backlinks and new content and all those things to increase profitability. I might have done those things in the past, Charlie. I've heard stories of people have two companies and they'll employ someone in a different company to do work on the other company just to make it look more profitable. So when they yep. sell the business that it's like, look, we're, we're making all this money, but really there's a staff member missing. Have you ever seen... Uh, a founder or a business owner not pay themselves from the books to make it look more profitable? Completely. <laughs> I've also seen businesses stop CapEx or reinvesting in a company so that they can look as profitable as they can. And you know what's interesting here? We're not even talking about like being sneaky and like, you know, using an eraser over a number here because th- these things happen, right? The books are accurate to the events that have occurred, but someone's manipulated behavior behind the scenes. Totally. Then there's the whole cash-based versus accrual-based accounting. <laughs> That's the best. That's the best trick ever. Yeah. What do you mean? I've got $4 million in contract value. I mean, I've only got ten grand in cash, but it's like, look at all this profit that might come. I swear there are SaaS companies that I know of that have used <laughs> all of that to try and raise a lot of money and successfully, very much successfully so. 
I'll, I'll go one more out there because I want to be helpful on this, but more just drawing your awareness to like how manipulable books uh, really are. Like financial reports can be manipulated in a, in a big way across a variety of things, particularly when it comes to purchasing a business on this one. Now, if you wanted to validate or verify someone's books at a deeper level, um, you mentioned two good ones, which is like BAS, filed tax returns, a stat deck from an accountant could be a really good one as well. I would also ask for bank exports. I would want to see the actual transactions from the bank account or a Stripe account because yeah. those things you can't fake as easily. There's a, a deeper level of fraud someone would have to go to to actually pull those things off. And then I'd also be asking for timelines. In a lot of cases, people don't get the books of a company far enough back. They might just get the current year or maybe a year before. And you have to be really mindful of things, as I said, it's like they could have just hidden employees or expenses in different companies and stuff like that. So all of that becomes really important here. I, lo- I love that. I love that point because uh, one of the things I was going to mention was like the trend, like is profit going up, is profit going down, uh, is sales going up, sales going down, what about your operational expenses, your cost of goods sold, all those kind of points. The best way for you to get any understanding of how it is today is looking back and i'm not talking about to your point we're not talking about looking back over one month or two months or maybe a quarter to go back years and have a look at the trends like what is the story of the business um and at focus hq we we call it the story of a project like from the start of a project until now like two years later when has it done really well when has it not done very well what has someone done to try and solve it and it's the exact same here it's like what did the business owner do to make it really profitable? What did they do to increase sales? And how is it now looking based on what you're looking to purchase? And I think that the trend and those historical views actually tell you a lot. I've seen businesses that have had huge amounts of refunds in one month of the year, where if you're buying towards that one month, like you'd never see it if you looked over a six-month trend, right? Like maybe like a Valentine's Day or a Christmas or I can, something. I can like already that. feel the excitement of buying a business overtaking the idea of looking at these things properly. Can I I share a story on this one? So at one point, Bianca and I were actually looking to buy a gym. There was a gym that came up for sale in the area we were living. Um, Really nice, uh, lovely lady who was running that gym. So she had prepared it for sale and we asked for like the prospectus. So this is where they tell you about the business, they give you some financials and all the rest of it. Now they had quoted in the uh, gym that they had about 200 and something members. So the... We were doing the maths and we're like, all right, if you've got 200 members and they're paying you this much a week, like this should be the revenue that comes into this business. And when we like reviewed the financials, that's not what was coming in. Like it was substantially less. And we asked for, uh, we questioned that and asked for proof of the members and also the revenue associated with those members. And it was only, and this wasn't disclosed, right? She goes, yeah, we have 200 members or hearsay. But uh, 75 of them are actually on pause. That's brutal. But to have not disclosed that in the upfront is like they were very much hoping to get away with that and for us not to notice it um, in there. And then the question that really like put this deal was like no chance this was happening. She, uh, we asked, well, how long is your pause period? Because we thought they maybe, you know, they allow, you know, people go on holidays at Christmas. Maybe they do a two-week pause. That's common in a lot of gyms. Um, in this case there, it's undefined. So some people, actually half the people that have been on pause had been on pause for more than six months. 
<laughs> that ain't coming back. They are cancelled. Completely. So this is a misrepresented business that then they had tried to cover up and the financials and verifying the financials were the thing that prevented Bianca from making a huge mistake on that one. And to to that point, like the second that one thing is found to be untrustworthy, it makes you second question everything again. Because if they've done that on one thing, what about everything else? Like sometimes I get it, people make mistakes where they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't say this. And you're like, okay, cool, no worries at all. You'll progress forwards. But a lot of the times it's like pulling that one little thread that just undoes all of the previous threads in the stitching. Um, I got this really interesting story. Uh, more recently, someone's been trying to- can, can I finish this one off quickly? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, someone else bought the business and it failed. Oh. So anyway, just, uh, just you know, to close the loop there, can continue. It's the, the final nail on the coffin. Mm. Uh, so someone's been talking to me about the potential of investing in United States property or property in the United States. And they said, hey, like the great opportunities, all fantastic. Now, Charlie, you and I know that we both know property quite well and we would know what good property and bad property kind of looks like. And we also have a set of questions that we would look at in order to go, is this good or is this bad? Uh, this person sent me a P&L and I just looked at this P&L and I'm like, wait, Where's like land tax? Where's the property management fees? Where are all of these other things on the P&L? And his response was, oh, that's the P&L I got from the seller. Yeah, no, they just must have forgot it. Right. <laughs> so that is actually fraud, right? That is just like manipulation of the financials. And, I, and I'm like, holy smokes. Because think about someone who doesn't know about like these expenses. And I, dude, I didn't even look at location. I didn't look at like anything i hadn't looked at the house and it was investment's good here is a PL to show you that it's good and i didn't even need to look anywhere else i just looked through this PL and i was like dude i just when you're hiding those kind of things it's alarm bells already i think we should just quickly uh bring this point back to going like we've made this very specific to potentially uh business right yep. and then you've just mentioned a really good investing one this applies across the board, the financial thing. So if you're going to buy a property, even getting verification that the tenants have paid rent and how much rent they've paid. It was, what, it was one of my next ones was like vacancy rates. What is it? And it turned out like, oh, there are some tenants that are on like a really discounted rate because of some government thing. And I'm like, give more. If someone's going to be a tenant in a property of yours, verifying that they actually have employment and can afford the place, right? It wouldn't be that hard to lie and say, yeah, I've got a job. Totally. But, um, so to prove those things could be really powerful here. If you're going into a commercial asset and you're going to buy something in commercial, that business will have financials. Yeah. So to check that they can do those types of things will be very, very apparent. So it's the investing things. But the most important one we haven't covered is like if you're looking for a potential new mate, right, a romantic relationship, I would absolutely be asking for their budget P&L and access to their bank records. Have you, you know some cultures do this where you actually need like a – it's pre- predominantly um, in Asia for the guy's side where they actually need to show the family, like the partner's family, their bank accounts. Like, I think it's a great idea. They're like, what's their net wealth? What's all these things? And I'm like, that's fantastic. <laughs> we, we have, I'm for it. I think we should bring that as standard process. A lot of couples fall into uh, struggle because of financial pressure. And I think if that is known, and I'm not to say they don't go through the marriage, right, but just knowns before they do it, I think it's a great it, idea. In my case, Bianca was already more set up than I at when I was 22. So I felt like I was winning in that scenario. I was like, I hope she doesn't check my bank account. 
<laughs> oh, I love this. Jesus. Uh, do you want to go jump onto your third? <laughs> All right. Next one here. Uh, we might even start this one with dating. Should we? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's just, it's a car, it's, I can't believe this has come into the conversation. <laughs> Fantastic. So the, the last one is we live in a time where you can find out a lot about someone online or a lot about a business online. Yep. And I just think this is a truly, truly unique time to do so. So every now and again, I'll, I'll jump on social media and I'll see some, something in, like, has anyone ever bought something from X? Or I'll be looking at reviews of products. And I just look at this now and go, I think this is such a merited form of due diligence and should be in, again, I know I'm not allowed to say this necessarily as financial advice, but I think to neglect the idea of verifying anything online these days is a huge miss. Yep. You can find people on social media and check what they've been up to. You can read product reviews. You can put out, has anyone worked with someone and actually find customers and get direct feedback. You could uh, just punch them into Google. Like there's a ton of things you could do that would have you understand the character of a person and business and the qualities they represent without speaking to anyone and potentially just avoid bad deals on this point alone. This, I think this one's so underdone, right? Like I always come back to what about the reviews on different websites, on social media, et cetera, of particular businesses? I know quite a few businesses that we're aware of that have got two-star reviews, one-star reviews, and it talks about how the product doesn't actually deliver the results that they were expecting. And it's like, well, hang on, if I was to buy this, what else am I, what am I actually getting? Am I getting a business that has strong sales and marketing but a product that doesn't match, which means then I'm going to have to deal with all of those repercussions from it. And so doing what I call like a desktop research and then sort of pulling on more threads of maybe pinging the testimonials they've got on a Facebook page and saying, hey, like you gave them a one star or you gave them a five star. Why? And so like actually going and talking to different people, I think is a great example of a way that you can actually uncover different scenarios of like, do is this the type of business or reputation that I actually want to pull on myself or even be affiliated with? Like there are some businesses out there that I think make great profit but holy smokes, their reputation is not great to the point that you would just saturate the entire industry and now you've got nothing else. Like they've already milked it and the reason they're selling is because <laughs> there ain't nothing else to milk or they're completely burnt. There was actually, there was a company that I know in Melbourne, SEO Business, um, and what they did was they had so many bad reviews and I shouldn't name the business. I screw it, I will. Whatever. Uh, it was called Web Marketing Experts. They sold it to Melbourne. I say it's completely fine for like $34 million. It's completely fine. So it was called Web Marketing Experts, right? And it had so many bad online reviews that they renamed the business to WME. And then they would deliver the service under the new brand. Wow. Talk about a brand management strategy. Yeah. Actually, I really like the guy. The founder's name is Nick Mal Bell. I think he's a fantastic human, but it was a strategy to help them with reputation. Because their reputation, they just couldn't repair it. Like you couldn't get that many thousand five-star reviews to sort of push down all of the others. It's just easier to rebrand. I think you just highlighted a good point about the internet being manipulatable and deceiving as well. So the level of depth you go with this to know that that brand change happened. So you checked both brands in that case. Totally. But you'd never pick it up. 
Like you never find that in financials. You never find that in conversations with the founder. You never find that across anything. It's just it can. It's just a new trading name. I think there's new levels to this though. If you're into property, you could literally find reviews of suburbs and how people feel about suburbs these days. Schools, if you're going to send, this is something I've been involved with, I, looking at not only what their website says, but how the parents review it in Facebook groups. Very that helpful. Is, isn't that awesome? Yeah. If you're going to, uh, again, something I've looked at in the past is like, a, well, we're looking at it now, might as well look at it again, is like cars people giving long-term reviews of cars and comparisons and their own experiences of those products. Like that's the real stuff you want to be hunting for on the internet, not just the, oh, look at the Google review. Although important, it is just, I think there's layers to this you can go that can have you make significantly better decisions across your life. It, I'm just going to riff on that point. So uh, one of the businesses uh, called Evidet, which is a dental inventory management startup. Um, so you can see all of like their reviews online and everything like that. But in the dental sphere in Australia, there is one Facebook group that you would argue that 70% of dental nurses are in. And it's exclusive. Like you have to basically prove that you are a dental nurse to get in this group. And all they care about are the reviews that sit in that group. And like no suppliers can get in. Like we can't get in because we're not in the industry. And it's like all that matters is what they say in that group. <laughs> and so if you were to buy something, it's like, well, how do you get access to the group and actually see if people like Invident, people don't like Invident, like it's the greatest feedback. I would find a dental nurse, pay them and get them to go into that group and do totally. research for me. Completely. But I'm like, but you can't like, that is the next level of looking at that reputation. Like you can't find that on Google. You can't find that just by like hitting search on a brand. Like you have to have someone who has that knowledge that can get you in and say, well, what are they saying here? What are they saying in this forum? What about in a paid mastermind or something like that? Like there are different ways. So I, I love this one. I, I, Do you I know what comes up in many of our points here that I, I would love to like recap on or reiterate here? Most of the things we're talking about are obvious and I think everyone would do at a certain level. It's the next level deeper than these things that yeah. makes all the difference. So the idea being is like people probably speak to three different options before they buy. But did they ask the question of like, who have you helped like me? My yeah. situation with my goals. Like that's the that's the edge in that example. Or asking to speak to their customers and then actually doing it. Or rather than just doing shitty desktop research, actually like, no, 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 I'm going to probably really dig in and find out about these guys online or paying someone to do that for you. With the financials, like did you get a manipulated P&L or did you actually, no, no, I've verified the Stripe bank account I've got a stack deck from the accountant. All of these things don't actually take that much more effort and time. A little bit, don't get me wrong. But the difference on being sure that you've made a good decision on a potentially huge acquisition is massive. I wonder how many people got like new employees to provide a list of references or referees. I'd like never contacted them. But they did it just to, like as a scare tactic. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, send it to me. Nah, I'm not going to call them. That's whatever. I'll accept it on face value. I, I used to love this one. A friend of mine had this question whenever he would um, interview someone. He'd always open with how much did you get paid at your last job? And that, and like, <laughs> and then he would say, wait for their answer. He'd wait for it. And he would go, now I'm going to call your company and verify this. Would you like to change your answer? 
and he would always look to it and say that if someone uh, – so if someone lied and then he called them and he verified it, out, no question. Cause yep. But if they lied and changed their answer, he would allow them to the next round. But if they were completely honest, they would go to the top of the list. How I do, something, I do something similar around like how would you rate yourself out of 10 and then when I call you a reference, what would they give you out of 10 and a why? That's a, that's a subjective term though. It's, it, it totally is. But it's fascinating when people give themselves like a 9 out of 10 and then when they're like, oh, but if you talk to a child, it's probably going to be a 7. Like, why, why am I? Wait, why, why would I give them the 7? You're saying you that never I give the, you've been the pessimist on these other <laughs> rankings. but <laughs> Yeah, no, it's totally. And they give you all the reasons. All right, well, let's jump into the next one here because we'll, we'll run long here, but I think that is a f- fantastic point, Grant. You've got your last one here. Lay it down. Um, what do you got? All right, so I'm, I'm summarizing this as like the market in industry, and this is totally a, a catch-all <laughs> on this one just because there's so many, so many points I want to jam in that due diligence could just go on forever. And so there's a couple of key points that I like in market and industry. So the very first one is – does this business or does this asset or whatever have some kind of unique sales proposition or some kind of moat around the business? Like, And again, this still needs to realign to your goals, but why is this better than the 10 other businesses that probably look very similar to it to buy? All right, so pause there. This is like market validation, right? So if you're going to buy a property and they want 100 grand for it, you want to see that there's other businesses out there or other properties out there selling for about that. So value yep. point and then what would make that different? And why so, is this one better than the others? Like, why should this one get my cash versus the others? Like, or am I looking to just acquire all 10 of them and I'm the one bringing the moat or the unique thing? Which there are people who do that, totally. There are people who buy up suburbs and there are people who buy up a whole heap of businesses. They would understand that as a part of their strategy. But I think market validation is a really good idea on that one. This, the second part that I put on top of this one is like the future state of the market slash industry, right? So using a property example, uh, is this house in this example in an area that has a finite life maybe there's a mine very close to it that has a finite contract maybe it's on a port that they're looking to close down maybe it's got coal it's, plants all around it and they're shutting them down exactly may or maybe it's in a spot that everybody's moving to maybe this is the new place because the schools are so good and it's got all these other areas like there could be a good trend as to why this thing is going to grow not die or it you might see just be really stacked. like fad products, right? You look at an e-commerce store and like maybe they had a, a win on. Do you remember those like uh, scooters don't, everyone was on for a while? Or those don't, mini motorbikes? Don't ruin my fidget spinner store. Please don't shit on my fidget spinners. Catches a wave of a hot product. No long-term <laughs> sustainability. Sells it. Oh, I'm going to buy this business. Look at these financials. Boom. Woo. I'm confident <laughs> totally. that happens all the time. Completely. It's going, well, okay, well, this is totally going to contract. Like it is, to your point, a fad, which is very difficult yeah, to but look Grant, at. you don't know. Mate, there's a guy in here now. He's testing the soil. They think they're telling you this mine is going to shut down. But like between you and me, there's there's gold here. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of gold. Just kidding. You don't, you don't understand. Have I ever told you about my pet rock? Pet rocks are going to be big. 2023, here we come, baby. Um, but the other one is... In regards to like the market and industry, so my third point, which I'll, I'll kind of finish on this, but there's so many that anyone can think about. Uh, do I have the ability to potentially expand on top of it, right? So, for example, uh, to use a property and I'll use a business, in property maybe there is a demand for rooming houses, which is a hope of places that people rent in one house. 
So maybe I can actually provide or improve this thing to support the market and what the market wants. So there might be a whole market of people that want to rent all of these sort of studio apartments in one house and I can provide that to the market. So I'm actually seeing something that they're not. Maybe in a business sense, I can actually take this product from buying it in Australia and take it over to the US because I have unique advantage. And so there is an additional market that I can service because of this asset or this business. So this is like a future plays thing here is it's not just buying something as it is, it's buying something to it like in- improve. Like there's something they I, I kind of think of it differently. I think it, you're ensuring that it will exist in five years from now. So if it can be improved upon its survivability. Totally, because first mover advantage will burn out at some point. So you want to make sure that you can continue making this thing run or maximize the value of it. I'm down. So one of the, one of the best ways that I do this is uh, I'll talk about business. So software as a service, love it. It's my jam. Very fortunate that both of my brothers are very, 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 very good developers, like amazing developers. Uh, one's very good with machine learning, a little bit of AI and all those kind of things. So anytime I look to potentially invest in a software, <laughs> the first thing I do, grab my brother and be like, hey, do you uh, want to review this code? Is it old code? Can we build on top of it? Is it going to be here forever? Because that is my like validation <laughs> on the technology of it, as opposed to me going, Maybe the code's good. Maybe the code's not good. Maybe it's going to support the market. Maybe it's not going to. So that's that's actually a different point, though. Let, let, let's separate the two because I, I think um, validating future growth and what you've just discussed is like, is this market going to exist in five years? That's absolutely a, a really strong point on due diligence. I think that's a huge point. And the mining town example or product example of your fidget spin is excellent. <laughs> External validation, though, I think deserves its own point. Because right, this could be your fourth fourth point. I'm for it. I will right, make it Charlie's fourth point. I mean, we never play by the rules on this podcast anyway. Like we say we're going to do two points each. It already goes to three and now there's four See? for me apparently now and, and three for you. But external validation <laughs> is a very interesting thing in itself. And I love this as a due diligence point. It probably should have been the first one we did and the most important. Because when you get someone else to externally validate it, your bias is removed. Yeah. So you might love, in your example, this software, right? So it's this SaaS, you can see future demand. Holy crap, it's a growing industry. It's a fin- fidget spinner support uh, service. I'm typing this down now. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> right, and it's like you see what you want to see. So you see the product. Maybe the SaaS looks reasonable. You've logged in and pressed a few buttons and it works to what you can find. But then uh, in your case here, your brother goes and validates the code and it's like, Grant, this is built on a, a legacy thing that's going to expire. This is going to have to be rebuilt if you bought it. Yep. Or if you were going to buy a car and a mechanic checked it, it's like, you know, it dro- what do you mean? It drove fine to the workshop. <laughs> that's so, all it got to. It's like, mate, you're lucky you didn't die on the road here. <laughs> yeah, get it at home. C- yep. Completely. And then on the property, this is the best in, this is the best in building. Yep. Or the buyer's agent with the suburb research. All right, it's like... I, or someone who's been in the industry for 10 years that's looking at this business and can tell you if it operates in a way that is relevant to standards. Or an accountant verifying, your accountant verifying someone else's books. You had this, you had this amazing point around the ladder of abstraction because I think it's so valuable here. Oh, this is actually a marketing thing. <laughs> this is, but hey, I think that this is still applicable. 
Yeah, so I, I learned this um, a long time ago from a guy called James Farron, which uh, James and I- Shout out, friend. James. Yeah, big shout out to James. He's a, he's a quality human. And uh, he was talking about the idea of like niching in business. And he said for a lot of people, they actually go too abstract. They need to like zoom in. So the idea being is like, if you're a business owner and let's say you want to start a business, cool. That's pretty wide. Why don't, why don't you go a little bit deeper? All right. Um, a service business. All right, cool. We've become a little bit closer. And then it's like, well, what, what, what type of service business? All right, I'm going to do a marketing services business. All right, now you're getting a little bit more specific. And then it's like, well, what type of marketing? I'm going to do SEO. So you can see I'm getting more and more defined. Yep. So the ladder of abstraction is this idea that you can look at anything and get closer to it or further away. It's a ladder. So the uh, if you're trying to niche in, you should go further down the ladder. Or if you're trying to appeal to more people in a market. So maybe I started a marketing service uh, company only for people who have coffee cups with our faces. Oh, sorry, coffee cups with our faces on a grant. Certainly one potential client. I could see why my um, business might not do well here, where I might have to zoom out a little bit and go, well, using the ladder of abstraction, I would go out one level and say, well, I'm going to go after companies that need to promote their merch. I love that. Uh, so, I think it continues. So say I'm not quite sure how it's relevant here, but I'm hoping you can bring this one home. No, totally. So for example, when you're looking at a market or an industry, getting someone else to apply the ladder of abstraction to find either is the industry dying? So if you went up one or two, which says, well, maybe you're doing SEO for mechanics. Maybe that's what you're looking to purchase. And it's like, well, it looks good. The business looks fine. But actually, I know a guy who is aware of the entire SEO market. And so I'm like, hey, ladder of abstraction, take me one up. How is SEO doing? Is this thing dying? Is it becoming more expensive to deliver? Is so you're kind of making this like macro and micro. Exactly. But then in my brother's example, it's one level deeper. It's like, cool, well, the, from a business perspective, that's fine. But the ladder of abstraction is now the software. So it's like, well, the software, what layers of code, what code are you using, what infrastructure are you using? Okay, what version of the code do you have? Does it need to be rebuilt? Does it not? And so you can actually apply the concept of the ladder of abstraction in the business as an industry slash market or in the actual specifics of like the, the way that SEO is done or the way the code is written or the way that, I don't know, videos are edited, right? So you can actually apply that technical concept to all of it. I just thought it was such a valuable point. Apparently, I didn't realize I was making one, but I'm glad it's been <laughs> helpful for you. <laughs> hey, I... Uh, it was impressive. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round this one out then. I think we'll finish on the external validation. Uh, and to a degree on this whole idea of what we've spoken about here, I think the size of your potential purchase would weight how heavily you would go into this. Like I'm not going to externally validate, you know, buying a new coffee cup. And I'm probably just going to buy a coffee cup. Maybe look at a couple of reviews, right? But if I was going to purchase a property, a business, find a new partner or do something more serious, I would want to be applying all these layers and having them externally validated and having them double checked and really make sure that if I was going to that depth, that I could be confident on moving through with that. Otherwise, you could end up in many of the situations that you and I have both found ourselves in. Totally. I am. Um, I, I could not agree more. And there's, there's probably more that people should be looking at. Like this is just helping everyone level it up. These Honestly, I feel like we could do several episodes on this. These are the ones that I will wait have been the most impactful for me. I, I just again, and I will reiterate this again, is going, this is not all of them. 
No. This is just like the spices. There's a whole plethora of things to do that may be specific to the type of uh, purchase or thing you're doing or looking to acquire. Love it. Uh, for everyone who's listening to this, if you're sitting there going, damn, you guys can provide some value in my life, why not get some more? Head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and go and get a little bit more value. <laughs> you like that one? I did. That was actually hilarious. I'm not sure <laughs> anyone is feeling that, but I'll take it. That was absolute gold from my point of view. <laughs> Even if you just said that for me, I'm good. <laughs> I just want to say thank you again and we we'll look forward to catching you on the next episode of Business and Investing.